a gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Inside Sources. It is 1.20, and I am your guest today. Greg Scord is filling in for Boyd Matheson. Interesting uh, development yesterday in Salt Lake County here. Our district attorney, Sim Gill, uh, gave a press conference about a murder case, a double murder, and really a triple murder uh, case, and uh, it sort of maybe uh, inappropriately named the February 9th murder because there was a homicide that occurred in Salt Lake County on February 9th, 2006 of a young woman named Sonia Mejia and a homicide that was that occurred two years later to the date on Redwood Road of a woman named Damiana Castillo. Um, Ms. Uh, Ms. Um, the first victim uh, was pregnant at the time, and so this, the, the state has filed uh, multiple homicide charges on that. Uh, criminal homicide, aggravated murder, uh, aggravated murder, second count, aggravated robbery, aggravated burglary. I mean, these are all first-degree felonies. They all carry up to life in prison. Uh, aggravated murder, of course, carries the potential for the death penalty in Utah and life in prison without the possibility of parole. A fifth count of of aggravated murder and another aggravated burglary charge. Um, the suspect in this case was originally named as what we call a John Doe. In other words, the the prosecutors and law enforcement didn't know the name of the individual that they were they were looking for, but they had his. Um, his uh, sort of identifying markers. See, they had his DNA. Uh, they may have had fingerprints. They may have had some other evidence. They didn't know his name uh, and, and who he was, but they had enough information to to charge him as a John Doe. And then two years later, they they sort of figured out who the individual was and charged him again. Uh, we're joined this afternoon by Sim Gill. Sim, thank you for joining us today. Always a pleasure, Greg. Always a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. And Sim, some interesting comments that you made last night that that that, that I think were were uh, really telling, and and I think that a lot of people don't understand uh, when when you talked about the extradition process, and we're talking about an individual who's in Mexico, but he's wanted here in Utah for double, triple homicide. In order to go through that extradition process, uh, you had to agree with the authorities in Mexico that you would not seek the death penalty. First of all, is that correct? And second, why would you do that? That's good. That, that is correct. So a couple of things. First of all, you know, under the Geneva Con- uh, Convention that uh, most people don't realize, we have international treaties that talks about that if there are nationals uh, in different countries, how we're going to treat them. So, for example, if I have a national and we criminally charge and they happen to be here, and they're, let's say, even lawfully here, we have certain obligations for conciliar notification. And uh, this is sort of the interactions between international uh, uh, countries. 
So in this case, we had an individual who is a Mexican national who fled from here. And we, uh, and you're right, uh, we, uh, we had identified this as a DNA profile as John Doe only. And, uh, and once he fled out of there, uh, in Mexico, they do not have the death penalty. So we're asking for extradition. We're asking them to let us, as states agents from here, from another country, go over there, take one of their citizens, and bring them down here. And so since they do not have the death penalty there, they uh, require that it, before they'll let somebody be extradited, that we will be consistent with the laws that they have in place. And that is that uh, that we would not be seeking the death penalty. And uh, so that's one way to trigger that extradition process to occur. And the second part of it was that for the crime that happened here, it is really important for us to uh, hold that person accountable, uh, to find some measure of justice for our victims. And uh, we, it, since it happened here for us, it was important to have that accountability. Otherwise, we would not have that accountability or that measure for justice. So we agreed to say that we would not impose the death penalty so we could facilitate the extradition. That doesn't mean that the other remedies that are available under aggravated murder, as you rightly uh, identified, which is life without the possibility of parole, 25 to life, provided that we meet our burden of proof and we get a conviction, and uh, then those are still available. And let me be very clear that these are allegations only, and uh, this is not an adjudication of guilt. There's a presumption of innocence, and that is afforded to this defendant as it is to anyone who we criminally charge. Sim, it looks like the first case happened uh, in the county, and it was it was investigated by Unified Police, and the second one, the more recent one, was West Valley. But both of these are over a decade old. I mean, one has occurred in 2016, or 2006, 16 years yeah. ago, and the other one is two years later. Um, what does law enforcement do, and how do you continue to work with law enforcement on these cases that, I mean, this had to be considered at least a cold case in some respect, yeah. uh, but you didn't give up? I mean, what... what yeah. What, do you, what, were you, what was happening in that interim? Well, uh, you know, and as you know, there's no statute of limitations on a homicide. And so whenever a crime like this happens, and there's no statute of limitations, and you're, st- you're trying to find out who it is and hold somebody accountable. And you're right. Some of these cases are, uh, would uh, classify, uh, certainly when you have this kind of an age, as a cold case. And so, the, you know, you really need to, and, and as I've acknowledged before, I think we really need to acknowledge the great work that was done by the Unified Police Department, uh, as well as the West Valley uh, Police Department and homicides, and then attorneys in our office who work on these cold cases in conjunction with law enforcement who don't give up on it to continue to work those cases. And this case is a perfect example. They started out allegedly as home burglaries. And in 2006, you have a, a, a home burglary that occurs. And in, that, in the commission of that home burglary, you also have a death that occurs of a, a young woman with this uh, more than six months uh, uh, pregnant. And, and uh, we don't know who it is. Uh, two years to the date, uh, another homicide occurs uh, and, uh, in a, under a similar set of circumstances. Now, in the first one, there was forensic evidence as part of that investigative scene that they worked upon. On the second one, they uh, had that as well, and they were able to uh, connect the DNA STR profile of it. And that's why it was uh, we didn't know who it was, and uh, but we were able to create a forensic profile. And on that forensic, uh, on the strength of that, we filed that to basically say here we are. 
then our good police work subsequently allowed us to make that connection to say this unknown person now is a known person. And then it became an issue of saying, okay, where is this person? And they did incredible work. Uh, the, 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 the detectives need to be absolutely commended uh, on the not giving up on it. And then once we sort of found an ID, then it was trying the uh, effort to locate this person. And it's not just simply locating because we are uh, detectives can't simply go into that country. Then it's facilitating with local law enforcement as well as their federal uh, folks to make sure that we have identified the right person. We can actually then execute and hold because we don't want to alert that person and then uh, uh, have a process in place for that extradition to occur. And it is important to never give up on those kind of cases because those victims, those families are certainly impacted. And then our community is impacted because here's an unsolved murder that happened in our community, and it is also an open wound for them, no resolution, no finality. So uh, it, these are very important cases, and those officers and detectives really need to be commended for an excellent job that they did. Well, and I think your office does as well, Sim. And, I, and you made a good point about the fact that victims um, are are never, or at least rarely, satisfied until some justice comes comes to bow. And and I and it just is it's so. Uh, and, we, and again, you you emphasize that that this man is presumed innocent at this point. But I, I think yeah. it's got to be some some really solace for the victims to know that something's happening here. In the remaining minutes, Sim, just tell me this for our for our listeners: um, how how is the how is the how is the play made between countries? I mean, how does Mexico know or, or uh, some other European country know that we have a suspect out there? Is there some sort of Interpol sure. or something? I mean, sure. how, well, how well, do you certainly. communicate? Well, you, you, you can communicate with their law enforcement authorities. We have to work with the State Department because there is that uh, sort of a, at that level of diplomatic contact. They want to make sure that there are assurances that are given. Um, you know, uh, I have to certify and assign uh, uh, as the head of this office that we are not going to be seeking the death penalty. So, so there is, with our federal agencies as well as their federal governments at that level, contact is made. And then local contact through their agents that are assigned is also made as well. And uh, so, so it's not only the logistics of it, but there is a diplomatic uh, conciliar notification process that we have to go through to make sure that everybody feels comfortable that we have solid evidence on a probable cause on which we're uh, basing our charges. We've identified the right person and that we will give them the assurances for our due process, which is the hallmark of our system, consistent with their sort of expectations before they release that person. So there's that sort of stuff that needs to be done as well. And I think what most people may not realize, uh, Greg, that this week we were actually lucky. We actually extradited two individuals from Mexico in the last uh, basically 10 days on two different sets of murders uh, that happened in, in our valley, unfortunately. Well, keep up the good work, Sim, and thank you so much for joining us today. It's interesting what your office is doing and with the, the technology that we have and, and whatnot. I, I wish I could keep you for another segment just to see what, <laughs> where, where we're going in the future. Uh, when we come back after the break, uh, the U.S. has wrapped up its first round of security talks with Russia following their military buildup near the border of Ukraine. Uh, but uh, Russia does seem to feel threatened by America's proposed sanctions. Um, why or why not? Should they? Uh, we'll be joined by Chris Miller from the American Institute uh, at the next segment. Please come back. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. 
started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.